That was by Doris Club. I should say that that was by the new indie band Impending Government Shutdown, which would be a good name for an indie band, but is not, and is in fact one of the calls that I'll be taking in a little while here. The number, uh, although we have a lot of calls right now, the number, it's Ask or Tell Me Anything, the number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. You know, before we go on the air, typically... Well, not typically. On some days, and on this day in particular, I will just get out a Mr. Carp envelope, and just on the back of it, I will jot down some things <clears throat> that I could say if nobody called up at the beginning of the show, which has been known to happen, or sometimes we have phone problems. And, I, and then I'm always a little sad that I'm not going to talk about any of those things. <laughs> I'll mention one of them before we go to the phones. So there's another way to do this kind of show. And I have this uh, a guy who's a major influence on me. His name is Frank Skinner. He's a British comedian. If we all lived in England, everybody would – we'd all know. You'd all know. I do know. You'd all know who Frank Skinner is. Like King Charles knows who Frank Skinner is and so does the Archbishop of Canterbury. And stuff. He's like sort of like kind of Billy Crystal level famous in England. But nobody seems to know about him here. But he has this wonderful podcast that I listen to almost every week. Where he and two, I don't know if it's wonderful or not, but he and two Confederates sit there and they just talk about whatever. I mean, it's a little bit like this, but not exactly. And they don't take calls, but what they will do is they'll they'll ask a question and then people can text in the answer. They'll have a theme for the day. And for example, <clears throat> and of course I can never participate in this because the show drops in the morning. I don't really get to it until, you know, nighttime. Um but one of the recent questions was, what is something that your father said that is not commonly said today? Um, and and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm now embellishing this a little bit. I mean, to me, the qu- question would be, what is something that your father said that is not commonly said today, but that you have continued to say? Um, for example, in my case, my father would say that something was something was something good happened. He would say, well, that's better than – he would say, that's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. And I don't really think I've heard anybody say that except for me in – I'm going to say 40 years, um, maybe a little bit less because I used to work with a, a reporter who was more or less my father's age, a guy named Jerry DeMusi, and he used to say it. 
And I've always felt, too, that in terms of something being better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, it should be really good. You know, it should uh, for, for it to have the kind of rhetorical heft that it needs to succeed as a phrase or a trope, it, it can't be, you know, that, I don't know, they bought you, they brought you extra French fries with your meal or something. That's it's no there's no point in saying that's better than a I mean if you win the a MacArthur grant that's when you say well it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick all right that's all but I mean if you you know I and mean, that's another way to do this show is you put out a topic like that and people call it um, and we may do that someday but not today as it happens all right uh, I've got the mouse and I'm looking around and oh everything looks kind of interesting let's go to Petra in New Haven. Petra, how too exciting. Hello. Hi. You're on the air. I'm on Chapel Street. Oh. <laughs> and I, 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 I just wanted to say I'm old enough that my father used to say uh, that the business was doing a land office business yeah. if it was very busy. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's, that's got to go back to Oklahoma land rush. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. No, that's a, that's a perfect example. And so have you ever made that your own, or did you just leave it by the oh, wayside? Oh, I say it all the time, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> you also used to say if you were going out of the house with a lot of things that you're carrying, you'd say you look like you're going to the old country. <laughs> See, I don't and even know his, that one. I've discovered that my— father used to go to Italy. Yeah. His my, father used to go back to Italy. <laughs> So that's that's what it is then. Yeah, I, I the other thing that's interesting I think is that the offspring, sons and daughters, um, will often initially start seeing it in a semi-affectionate, mocking way. They'll pick up the trope that their father used, and then they forget that that's why they are doing it. So I apparently, all the time that my son was growing up, I would say that, well, it's just going to go all over Hell's Creation, or I've been looking all over Hell's Creation for for you or something. <laughs> and so when my son was in middle school and high school, I started noticing him and then some of his friends, and I'm pretty sure they were making fun of me initially for having this expression. But then I, I think they just started doing it, and they, they'd forgotten that it was kind of this dumb old guy thing to say. Um, well, anyway, that's probably not what you called up to talk about. No. <laughs> I wanted to express my gratitude to a couple of local churches, because I'm a trans person. I transitioned at, at uh, 67. I, I was teaching 40 years as a, a historian of religion, and I started taking... HRT, hormone replacement therapy, at 67. And so I don't pass, I don't try to pass, but I do wear dresses, and I, I keep myself shaved, and I, I have a effects from these hormones for five years of the show. So I look uh, odd. Uh, I try to look nice, but uh, no one has accepted me. I got shunned and banned at my college, uh, literally banned from all events. And I quit in protest. I'm in the Division of Human Rights and federal court about this. But I, I then I, I went to churches, Christ Church in New Haven and the Spring Glen uh, United Church of Christ in uh, Hampton. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, and, and these places accepted me completely, immediately, and happily. And I just wanted to say that they're the only communities that have accepted me. I am about to go into Claire's and buy some stuff to go. They they accept me. <laughs> but, they also but, accept cash. 
Um, yes, they do. But um, <laughs> they're very friendly to me. Oh yeah, and the, <laughs> the stuff is great too. It's delicious. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. Obviously, you could have had a very different. In fact. 180 degree opposite experience in some church communities, uh, and and in, in some church communities, that's where you meet perhaps the most profound rejection. Uh, and I, I should say, for a number of years, I attended a church up here in Hartford uh, called River, Riverfront Church, which is still around. I remember, yeah, and that's that was a church that most of the congregation, I think it's fair to say, had grown up in evangelical churches, and uh, many, many of them were uh, LGBT, LGBTQ uh, people who had been just told that they were profoundly evil or, you know, deformed mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and were deeply wounded by that, but had not entirely forsaken the idea of evangelical Christianity. And they attended this church and they could have both. It was still evangelical in its outlook, but it was also very accepting. Two of the three uh, pastors were, when I was there were either gay or lesbian, uh, which you don't see a lot in evangelical churches. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, what is Jesus' basic message? Is it about rejecting people? <laughs> Not no, really. never said anything yeah. about rejecting anyone. Right. never said anything about gay people at right. all. Uh, and and uh, you know was pretty odd himself in some ways. He's out there unmarried in his thirties and uh, you know calling men away from their families. Yeah. Uh, he could he could have uh, so. just he could have just been Irish. Um, but um, but no, I'm sure you sound like you've read Peter Gomes's book, the the good book, which is you know he, he talks about that about you know if Christ is the most important person in Christianity and the Bible is the most important text then it should be significant that Jesus doesn't really say anything (laughs) about homosexuality. (laughs) If it it were a, so to speak, burning issue, you'd kind of think there'd be something there in the four Gospels. And, you know, one of these churches I go to and have been accepted at is very liberal and open and affirming United Church of Christ tradition, but the other one, Christ Church in, in Broadway, is Anglo-Catholic and extremely traditional, mm-hmm. but they're, they're also extremely accepting. Yeah, so, you know, it, it really is possible for Christianity uh, to 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 be fully accepting, and and for religions to have a positive impact on community in this way. Right, but Petra, uh, so it I, should be a feature, not a bug. Right? Be, <laughs> well, I oh. think it, I think it really is. I'm trying to get it to be a feature All by right. calling you. Well, you. you're doing good work there. Thanks, Petra. Now go get a nice, baked, snacky, wonderful thing uh, at Claire's. All right. So, um, well, we should talk to uh, – we have a couple of music calls here from Lake Como Dave and Chris from Middletown. I'm, I'm struggling for how we can bring Chris's call alive. I, I'll just have to perform a song probably, but uh, <laughs> that's – oh, no. What does he got? He's, he's pulling – oh, okay. He's pulling uh, some music for that. So we're going to talk to Dave. We've got Adrienne. Uh, who have we got? We've got Di- uh, Dana or Diana. Diana. Uh, I need new glasses. Uh, and John. Uh, so we got lots of people. All right. Let's start with Lake Como Dave, though. Hi, Lake Como Dave. Colin, thanks for taking my call. I'm in Lake Como, but my heart is in Connecticut. We were there for Thanksgiving, and it was a wrench to leave. Uh, so, well, uh, but we'll I hope it was there. a socket wrench anyway. <laughs> it was metric. You know. um, anyway, I've got a quick uh, thing to tell you and ask you. Um, talking about the new Bradley Cooper, you know. Uh, Lenny. It's called Maestro. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, both in the theaters and seen it on Netflix. I haven't seen it, but but uh, you know I could tell just from the preview that they got everything right, and you know I can't wait to see it. Um, so one thing that's really exciting to me about that movie is that well, two things, but primarily that it it is a chance to interest like two or three generations of people who knew almost nothing about Bernstein um, in in this guy, uh, and and that would be an ex extraordinarily good thing for me also to interest some people in Mahler because the Mahler second symphony has a huge part in that film. Um, that's really exciting. The thing I was going to ask you also in regard to, to very close to a related topic, is there any American born musician that you could think of? I know it's putting you on the spot that is more important, um, a greater, musician in terms of longevity activity in every kind of sphere you can imagine and so forth than leonard bernstein well wayne newton obviously and share um no um i don't know and i don't even know whether i regard it as an entirely fair question uh but um (laughs) that could be just because i don't have a good i don't know no it's not not that i just sort of feel like we're talking about a guy who's i mean maybe this is your point he's sort of sui generis right there is um you know there is first of all uh yes the work he did as a conductor uh, then the work he did as a composer, but then you have to divide the work he did as a composer between things like, you know, like Serenade or, you know, uh, just things that were sort of written for an orchestral repertoire, and then stuff like West Side Story and Candide. Um, so in in a way, he's got sort of two different compositional careers. And then maybe the most important one at all, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't one of the things that you're kind of nudging at, uh, which is... The kind of gateway that he, the on ramp he turned himself into, particularly for young people, uh, yep. just that whole idea of we are going to, in a way that's totally non intimidating, acquaint you with this huge musical cultural heritage, and you're going to love it the way that I, Lenny Bernstein, loves it. Uh, and I, There's I, so I th- people. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, you go ahead. I, I, I think I know what you're going to say. And I, I, let me just say this: uh, another thing about this, which is that uh, our own musical maestro, Steve Metcalf, I talked to him over the weekend, and he's a little hard to book for things sometimes. And I said, look, you know, we're probably going to do a nose about Maestro on December 22nd. I think we're going to do that. Just wait till people can, can have it on Netflix. And yeah. he just, you know, he's like you. He's been watching the trailers, you know, and being very encouraged by them. But I can just tell, because I know him really well, this is an incredibly meaningful thing to him, and he wants it done well. And I think part right. of it is that probably for both of you, the reason that you wound up where you are with the passions that you have for music, you know, that, that Lenny Bernstein is you know, a significant percentage of that somehow. Absolutely. I was just maybe a couple of years too young for the young people's concerts who were on TV. My sister, you know, was like enraptured by them. You know, so many people at a certain age, that is the gateway. Yeah. And, and so I think that is, you know, there are far better American composers. I don't think there are better American conductors or ever will be, but there's no one who, who, taught people about great music like he did. So uh, I'm really excited. Also, one little tidbit, and I'll let you go. 
Bradley Cooper apparently is about because a friend of mine plays in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Bradley Cooper came to watch rehearsals there mm-hmm. as part of the preparation. He said Bradley Cooper is about six four, and mm-hmm. Leonard Bernstein was about five eight or five seven. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is another tribute to Cooper. He managed to pull that off in a way that you really don't notice. Yeah. Well, acting. Acting, yep. theater. All right. Well, Lake Como Dave, great to talk to you. Yes, on December 22nd, we're pretty sure. I mean, we're not really sure about anything. But on December 22nd, it is our plan that on the nose we will talk about Maestro. Um, so you'll have time to see it. Okay. So, Kat, do you see the clip that he sent over? You do. Okay. So I, I'm going to say just hit it, and then we'll go to Chris from Middletown. So on your mark. All right, that's uh, Chips. <laughs> but by the way, this is pretty slick work by Mr. McPants in there. So we got a call from Chris. He wants to talk about the hold steady. But what concerned me was that many of you would not even know who or what the hold steady might be. So I didn't order at that particular cut. I, it was it wouldn't be one of my top ten songs, but it's very representative, I think, of the hold steady somewhere near the peak of their powers. Now, from an opposing viewpoint, Chris from Middletown. You're I don't up. necessarily. Hi. 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 Huh. I don't necessarily have an opposing viewpoint. <laughs> I did almost just hang up the phone though. Once Craig Finn's voice came through. <laughs> that sounds like an opposing I, viewpoint. The music. The music is fine, but I just I I don't understand the appeal behind Craig Finn's voice. It it just makes me want to hit skip almost immediately every time, and I guess. Two questions. One, what do you find is is appealing about the hold steady? And two, is there any way uh, to move past and accept a voice that you can't stand and ultimately like it? I think that second question is a great question. We could almost do an entire episode about that, about what we sometimes called timber or t- the British would say timbre. Um, you know, the, the, the actual quality, the the essence of a particular voice. Um, and I, I encounter people who have a very similar problem with Elvis Costello. They just, I, in fact, the aforementioned Steve Metcalf, I think, falls into that category. And massive respect, maybe, for his songwriting abilities and his uh, lyrics and stuff like that. But the, the just, you know, I mean, if you don't like a voice, that's not something that's really under your rational control, right? If you don't like the sound of somebody's voice, you just don't like it. Um, and and similar, by the same token, um, if you do like somebody's voice, uh, you know, it's, it's also not probably a choice that you could really justify uh, on any kind of objective basis. You just like it. I mean, it's interesting because some members of my family or my in-laws or whatever, they, they put out these long, these long text threads. But So somebody asked for a list of, uh, of each person's 10 favorite songs, which is a stupid thing, obviously. We all have, you know, 100 favorite songs. But um, – <laughs> I was the only person who did it, <laughs> and I started out with a singer named Nicole Henry singing a Gershwin song I can't called I Can't Be Bothered Now. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's 
like, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Fred Astaire and people like, they sang that song too. But I really like the way she sings it. And some of it I can put into words, but other parts of it, it really is kind of ineffable. And so probably the reason that you really hate Ken, uh, Craig Finn's voice, I mean, it could be that if we put you into Jungian therapy, it would turn out that, you know, there is something that you're plugging into that, you know, is, <laughs> you know, discernible. Uh, but probably not. Probably you could think about it for a year and you still wouldn't know. And I, I think that's a really hard thing. I mean, in a way, uh, if if you're looking for any kind of hope, which I, I don't know, think you necessarily are, but um, I would say that a person whose voice I struggled with a little bit, this is going to sound like apostasy, but I never liked John Lennon as much as I like Paul McCartney or even George Harrison because his voice just kind of bothered me a little bit on that level. And, and I, I, I felt lately, though, as though John Lennon is really speaking to me right now. You know, I mean, it's, it, took a, it took a while, <laughs> but now I want to hear, I mean, we opened a show with him last week because it was just a perfect week to play that particular John Lennon song. And obviously there's that one that's been discovered and, and you know, resurrected and and breathed life into, but um, I don't know. But anyway, just quickly about the Hold Steady, just so people know, they're a Brooklyn-based band, although I think a lot of them are from the Midwest originally, and there's a lot of Minnesota stuff in their songs. Uh, and um, they, I, what I like about them, I get it about Craig, he doesn't have a great voice, although what he does have, I think, <laughs> is great phrasing. Um, there are certain people, okay. you know, first of all, if you're going to have lyrics like these, the lyrics are very complicated and have, you know, obscure references to, you know, the poet John Berryman or something, you know, in the middle of it. Or, or there's like, you know, a song from that same album is, begins, there are nights when I think Sal Paradise was right. Boys and girls together, boys and girls in America have such a hard time together, you know, to have these like obscure literary references. And you have to be able, like, I think Springsteen has a little bit of the same kind of phrasing. And then the guy I really think about, and I'm, I always pronounce his name wrong, so I'll just do it both ways Philip Lynott or Philip Lynott, the guy who was the lead singer for, for Thin Lizzy, had that ability to make just a normal, complex, lyrical line, just sound, just ripple, the rhythms of the words just kind of ripple. And I think Finn kind of does that too. But if you just hate the way his voice sounds, why torture yourself? You know, there's a, there's a lot of music out there, right? That's that's a valid point. I, I want to touch back on Elvis Costello because I, I do think they have some similar vocal yep. qualities. But I actually really like Elvis Costello, so I don't know why I don't like Craig Finn. Well, I mean, Elvis also has a much more supple voice um, and can sing multiple ways. One thing about Elvis Costello is, like, everybody sort of thinks of a certain kind of tonality or timbre with him. And it's not that different from how people think of Craig Finn's voice or how Craig, Craig Finn's voice really is. But I don't know what Elvis's range is. But it's a bunch of octaves, you know. I mean, he, you know, he actually has a, a very powerful high chest voice and maybe something that comes up a little bit above that too. Uh, and he can sing a lot of different ways too. I mean, he can make it sound sort of, you know, new wave, quasi-punk, but he can croon like a crooner and, you know. So he, there's more that he can do anyway. But I think that whole question of timber or timbre is a really interesting one, uh, and maybe one that we will. So, I mean, I'll say one more thing about it. I know there are other people waiting to talk, but um, I think that's an interesting place when we start thinking about AI. So, um, sure. you know, you can say to AI, 
write me an Elvis Costello song and sing it in Elvis Costello's voice. Uh, and AI can probably do some, some you know, version of that, <laughs> some facsimile well, of that. But are it, you familiar? I'm assuming you're familiar to some degree with the band The Decemberists. Yeah, yeah. So Colin Malloy has a Substack. I think he started it sometime last year, and he was toying around with one of the AI chatbots and posted it in his Substack. He inputted a, a number of commands and criteria and everything, and it ended up being a fairly ridiculous song uh, that was mostly just random nautical references and very <laughs> uh, cookie cutter in structure and, and rhyming structure and chord structure. But it did, in fact, write an entire song um, written out and tabbed out, uh, but not his voice. And I'm sure eventually that will be a thing. But it is it is very strange. But but I think the, the, the question I have is, can AI, like, I don't know, I, you know, I uh, teach a a, a political science and journalism class at Yale. And last spring, as part of this sort of a massive pro uh, class project we do at the end, one of the things that one of the two teams did was make, they were simulating uh, uh, Joe Biden versus, versus Tim Scott 2024 election. And they, you know, they delivered a speech by Tim Scott that they had written, you know, um, in Tim Scott's voice, which, I, you know, seemed, I mean, they just had AI do that. Um, and I, but I think when you're thinking about singers and particularly the singers who can really move you, I, I wonder whether AI can do that. In other words, they can, they can digitally reassemble everything that might constitute the qualities of Renee Fleming's voice or, you know, or, or Paul McCartney's voice. But will it be that? Probably not because there is sort of no. flesh somehow in that it's it's a, it, these are sounds made by our flesh and our souls and everything else that we've got so but it's a really interesting question and i'm actually glad that you called about it we are going to take a little break here that was chris from middletown so adrian from west hartford and diana from bristol and john from madison don't go anywhere the rest of you don't go anywhere nobody go anywhere and we will come right back i'm driving home for christmas Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
in the belly of the beast where the vultures wait I will sing hallelujah till they all fly away and in the gray of the morning I'll keep walking straight through the hole in the wall where the angels hide all the medicine I could take till I die resurrect me I want to be more than half in the belly of the beast that's Rustin Kelly talk about voices that I like he sounds to me like if Jackson Brown took way more drugs <laughs> and probably abused everything, every other possible substance that came into his path. Uh, he'd sound like Rustin Kelly. But then you see, see a little bit of some similarity there. All right, so uh, let's see what's happening here. The number is 888-720-WNPR. Somebody just hung up, somebody who was going to talk about I-95, so that is available. I mean, both the topic and the phone line, 888-720-9677. And this is going to seem absolutely seamless. Uh, we're going to talk to Adrienne from West Hartford. Uh, I say seamless because we were just talking about AI in the previous segment, uh, and you have the floor. Hi, Colin. Right. So my <clears throat> dental surgeon recently pointed out to me how AI <clears throat> has the potential to exponentially increase the threat, the threat of a nuclear detonation, deliberate or accidental, just exponentially. And my, den- my uh, dental surgeon, who's a really great guy, has a background in physics and engineering, God only knows what. He really understands what he's talking about. And afterwards, I've been thinking about it, and it, it occurs, this is so much exponentially more of a threat due to AI, and I'm not going to make any suggestions. People can use their imagination what might transpire. <clears throat> but it occurs to me that the only solution, and, it, it be, and it's necessary to do it now, is simply to get rid of every single wep- nuclear weapon, because Who's to say someone's not going to detonate something? I mean, just mm. now, get rid of them. Right now, according to Google anyway, we are developing on the West Coast some kind of balls of fissile material. And during the Obama administration, as much as I love Obama, we were developing new um, new missiles capable of delivering nuclear weapons. So it's like... Right. Uh, and you kind of don't need AI to be your excuse for this. Uh, I mean, people are every bit as dangerous as AI, and probably maybe a little bit more so. Well, exactly. But I mean, it's people who will trigger AI either deliberately or accidentally. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's like a, a a tinderbox just waiting to go up. Yeah. But I don't I, know. I, I've, I've told Alexa several times to launch nuclear strikes on various people, and she never does it. So, no, but to, just to take your, yeah. first of all, one thing that I would recommend to you, I would recommend it to everybody listening today. Um, is uh, it dropped over the weekend. Uh, if you have a podcast feed and The Daily, the famous New York Times um, podcast, is in your feed on Sunday, I think it was, they dropped something. I think it's actually from a different podcast called Dealbook, maybe. It's Aaron Ross Sorkin interviewing Elon Musk for, I think, more than an hour. Um, it, it is, first of all, I guarantee you, you will almost never be bored. However long this thing is, you will almost never be bored, but for a different series of reasons. And so Musk, who I think has a pretty good grasp of AI and has some real concerns about it too, at one point Sorkin is kind of 
kind of pressing him on, you know, how how fast are things going to happen? And I can't remember all the things that he said, but you mean he said you mean how soon will AI be able to do this or do that or write, you know, a J.K. Rowling novel or do that? He goes basically three years. Uh, I mean, who knows whether that's true or not? Um, I, I I think it's possible. I mean, look. There aren't really great guardrails right now. And it's interesting, depending on who you talk to, Radiolab did this terrific piece on the nuclear football back a few years ago, during the, during the Trump years perhaps significantly, and about how little uh, how, how little guardrails there really are and you know how, how much really – how hard it would be to stop a president who wanted to, to, to launch nuclear weapons. Now, I've heard the opposite version of that from other people pretty close to that that know there really are some, th- some sort of built-in kill switches here in case you have a crazy president. But I, I'm not sure – I mean I think it is really, really dangerous um, now <laughs> and I don't know how much more dangerous AI, AI would make it. The nuclear football is just a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's, it's terrible. And some, some, some years ago, a program on NPR or public television, one or the other, was, thought, was interviewing some of the people who are at the, um, in control, the, the real command center for this, in, which is in, the, I forget, the northern Midwest somewhere. And these were people who seemed to be in their late 20s, mid-30s, and they're all very nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we get the order to do it, we'll press the button. And it's like, wait a minute, something is wrong with this. Yeah. Well, you know, Randy Newman saw it coming. Let's drop the big one and see what happens. Uh, all right. Well, listen, Adrian, thank you very much uh, for your call. You know, this is a conversation that we really are going to have to keep having. Uh, I don't think, I mean, AI is basically a prediction engine right now, a really, really, really glorified and, and high powered prediction engine. But, um, as it becomes more than that, yeah, maybe there's a little something extra to worry about. But there's plenty to worry about without AI. Uh, here's Diana from Bristol, and then we're going to go up to Ed and Mary Jane, and we got all kinds of calls here. Uh, Diana, you have the floor right now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, Colin. Hi. I wanted to say when you said that, you know, what you know, our parents' expression was as we were growing up, mm-hmm. the one thing I remember my father saying, bananas don't get rotten, they get ripe. <laughs> <laughs> but then they get rotten after that. You know, so that was the one thing I, I just thought about, you know, just kind of came back to yeah. me for some reason. But I wanted to to chat about our government in the respect of, you know, shutting down the government. And the thing I just wanted to voice is that I believe that when they go about doing this, you know, I know that now I think the last time uh, our military was going to get paid and certain other things were going to get paid, but... You know, I don't think Congress should be paid. I don't know. You know, I feel kind of strongly about it because, you know, there has to be skin in the game. It's easy to say, okay, don't don't pay them or shut down the government, shut down the government. But if it impacts your wallet and your finances, then let's see what happens after that. Let's see if how how loudly they, you know, proclaim to do that. Yeah, I mean, generally in the past, and th- this is something that came up sort of prior to Obamacare, the ACA, um, uh, there were people who said, look, if Congress had to live with the kind of healthcare system most of us are living with, if Congress didn't have great freaking health insurance, <laughs> this, would, this would be happening a lot faster. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and in a way, it, there was almost 
you know, comical that the people deciding what kind of adjustments needed to be made to the private health insurance system in the United States were the people who had some of the most gold-plated uh, health insurance right. uh, in the country. And I don't know whether the salary thing would would work the same way. This is something that I researched at one point. I think they are currently protected by legislation. I think legislatively their their salaries do sit outside somehow the consideration of, of funding the government. But I forget exactly why that is. So yes, uh, big changes would have to be made. But I think your point is a fair one anyway. I mean, the, the problem also, also, of course, is you, you punish everybody if you do that. In other words, there are people in Congress who don't want to shut down the government and, and they wouldn't get paid either. Um, but still, you know, your point stands. All right. We're going to go to Mary Jane and we have, uh, we have a broadcast legend, Ed, uh, who is uh, going to come on and talk to, to us too because we're going to go back to this whole question of timber or timbre, the actual quality of a person's voice. Here's Mary Jane from North Stonington, from, from cougar mountain lion infested North Stonington, Connecticut. Well, that's true, Colin. And the poor, um, the poor lion got hit by a car. Yes, I know. So now North Stonington will have to make some kind of a refuge in case we get another one of those antique mountain lions. Let's start raising the money right now for the North Stonington Mountain Lion Refuge. I think that's... That's exactly yeah. right, yeah. because the poor thing got hit, and it was a historical first since the Pilgrims. Yeah. So uh, that was ridiculous. Well, I just wanted to tell you that John Lennon did not like his own voice, and he used to try to have it jazzed up <laughs> by mechanics. <laughs> and the other thing is that I think the reason you didn't like it is because John Lennon has that, uh, he's really kind of a folk singer, and you can hear this terrible pain from Liverpool and being Irish, going back 3,000 years of trouble. So I think that you hear, the Beatles had great range, much more so than other rock and rollers. They sang many different types of music, and I think you just like Paul because he's straight rock and roll, and that's what you enjoy. But I hope that you'll develop an interest in John and his range intellectually. Right. Well, I mean, okay. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't mean to suggest that I had renounced John anyway, because obviously his work within the kind of most fertile period of the Beatles just it just you know any kind of niggling concern I might have had would have been exactly that a niggling concern. Uh, but I and know so, what you mean. Yeah. And he himself did not like to hear his voice. He would ask people to jazz it up with electronics. I, I, well, I think my problems stem, they kind of start maybe closer to let it be, to that whole, oh, yeah. the, the, sort of the end, the end period of the Beatles and then the beginning of his solo, solo career. And I think another thing that happened was that his just massive cigarette habit was starting to catch up with a little voice, with the voice a bit too. So the, you know, the sound that you hear, uh, you know, in a, a beautiful song like In My Life, uh, he doesn't, he stops singing that way. And, and yes, much more pain creeps into it. Uh, and the other thing I would say about Paul is, let's not shortchange Paul. Sir Paul has one of the great voices period of our lifetimes. Uh, I don't know why Steve Metcalf keeps coming on the show, uh, up on the show today, but Metcalf always points out that the short distance on the White Album between uh, McCartney singing I Will 
and McCartney singing Helter Skelter, which some people believe is the first ever heavy metal song. Uh, and I mean, the, the stuff that McCartney can do, his range is prodigious. He hasn't seemed to l- lose very much of it over the course of his life, too. But I mean, this is a guy who's uh, you know, informed by kind of mu- the kind of music hall sound that his parents liked, uh, and so he's you know knows his way around standards. I you couldn't pay me money to to buy a copy of Kisses on the Bottom, but he knows his way around that material that I also love so much, and I think he can sing almost any way he wants to. Anyway, we have to move on. We do have a broadcasting legend here, or either that or there are two people named Ed in Middletown who would have something to say about Shane Shane McGowan. We'll find out which it is. Hi, Ed. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm uh, I'm a little surprised to be called a legend, but I'm, I'll take the compliment. Uh, and you know, that, I'm calling because I don't have my own show to pay, play three hours <laughs> of Pogues music this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, Shane McGowan died last week after yep. a long illness, and, and he had for me one of those voices. I mean, it, it was not a perfect voice, but he had so much soul. He just, you know, t- the last caller talked about the 300 years of Irish pain, and I, I think it was all etched in his vocals. Oh yeah. And on top of that, he was a uh, he was an amazing songwriter and and in Ireland, you know, you would have think you would have thought that the pope died. That's that's the yeah. kind of attention that his death is getting there. Uh, and a little bit here too, but not quite quite as passionate or not quite as much. I also, I would say, I mean, this is a trifling thing or maybe it's not a trifling thing that you know, there really haven't been many Christmas songs written in the last quarter century. That, you know, that really took, you know, there's like fewer than 10 probably, but he's got one of them. (laughs) Uh. But, you know, what's surprising is that I was with a group of friends on Friday who I love and admire and some of them who are very well educated. And I mentioned the song and only half of them recognize it. So, you know, on this side of the Atlantic anyway, while it's, you know, a beautiful song and is played, especially in places like New York. It's not particularly well known as a Christmas classic here. Yeah, it goes to number one in England every year. Right. So. Uh, that's just because Bill Nye's song from Love Actually isn't real. Uh, all right. So we we've got to go. But that's Ed, broadcasting legend. I see we've got to go because we have to go to a break. Our number, if you want to call in, is eight 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 seven two zero WNPR, which is also the same thing as eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. 
When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org slash pepen. All episodes of The Colin McEnroe Show are available 24-7 at ctpublic.org slash Colin, which is also where you can sign up for our delightful free fortnightly newsletter, The Newsletter. You can listen to any episode on any podcast app. Have a question or comment? Email us at colinshow at ctpublic.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks, Sabrina. And the, um, the technical producer of our show today, as she is most days, is Kat Pastor. Jonathan McPance is in there producing the show and screening calls and tracking down cuts by the Hold Steady and various things like that. And also sending me l- lyrics to the AI Decemberist song uh, over, the, uh, over our little private channel here. And he's b- keeping very busy in there is the point. Um, all right. So uh, we have a lot of open lines here. Uh, I have as they say, things I jotted down at the beginning of the show <laughs> to say. So, I mean, it's not a real problem that we have opening li- open lines, but the number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And here is Julie from Harwinton. Hi, Julie. Hey there. Don't hold it against me where I'm coming from. <laughs> Har- Harwinton? You've, you've made some funny comments about my town. Well, I mean, um, it is true that, you know, the children, they, they lurk in the... They don't eat people here. They do not eat people. <laughs> they don't eat people, but it's like they'll, you know, they'll do a ritual sacrifice of the local postman in order to keep the corn crops growing. And I support that. Look, it's a ritual. It's a tradition. I haven't witnessed it personally, so I'm not going to believe it till I see it. So I'm calling. You mentioned singing. I'm calling about singing. Okay. Um, Farmington Valley Corral. Um, I love the Farmington Valley Corral. I love horses. I love, yeah, first of all, I love horses anyway. So any chance I get to, you know, see them just run around a beautiful enclosure like that is terrific. No, I'm. Yeah. I'm kidding. Uh-huh. That's a, that okay. was a that was a dad joke. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. It really was. <laughs> so I am calling you to promote a concert that we're having of holiday music, where people who come to the concert get to sing the music with us. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it is great. Plus, we're going to ha- <clears throat> excuse me have refreshments for people who come to this concert, um, and it is in a church, um, Covenant Presbyterian Church. The barn is the where it's being held. Is that the one in Simsbury? It's in Simsbury. Yeah, I know where that is. I've so, worked at Blood Drive. So I, 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 yes. And by the way, um, they, they will not take your blood at the corral. So don't worry no, about that if you're listening. No. So I have a couple of questions. First of all, yes. um, I assume you're providing people with lyrics. Like yes. sheets of lyrics, because like Absolutely. people don't know the words to anything, and you know the, I don't know why this really is the Steve Menkap show. I guess because he and I had a long conversation over the weekend. But one thing that we've discovered over the years is, and I'm sure this isn't part of the um, the Farmington Valley Corral's repertoire, but nobody knows, possibly even Brenda Lee and people like that, nobody knows the words to "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree" or "Jingle Bell Rock." I mean, they know like. Six or seven. They knew the first few words, yeah, and then yeah. they had no idea. Um, and and I I've sung the song many. Oh, I don't. I, I I've sung <laughs> these songs many times. I do not know the words. I don't think anybody knows the words. That's why they I have to be really written like down. That song either. <laughs> which, which, which one do you like? Both of them. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Um, 
But well, we're singing different kinds. Don't of you music. get a sentimental feeling when you hear? Oh, I suppose. Voices yeah. singing, right. "Let's you're, Be Jolly." Yeah. Uh-huh. Deck the balls, bow the yeah. hall with boughs of holly. I guess I do know the Deck words. Anyway. The hall. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, the music, though, is from around the world. Okay. I mean, a lot of it is is just normal, everyday angels we have heard on high, um, mixed in with readings. So uh, people who like uh, writing, like yourself, uh, might appreciate these readings. I smell um, a little Dylan Thomas coming here. Well, I, I don't know what the readings are, okay. so I can't tell you. Um, but it's going to be good. We've been practicing like crazy. There are 80 of us, and there is room for 700 people in this place. Oh, my God. So we really want a lot of people to come, because right. it's going to be wonderful and um, happy and engaging, and you should come. I, I should come. Uh, there's so many great holi- holiday concerts. You can't get to all of them. But Julie, that was that was so nice that you did call in from Harrington, even though uh, you know I feel bad for the occasional postman who's placed in a huge wicker apparatus and set on fire. But uh, Hartwinton has many other charming things to recommend it. So I'm just looking here. Oh no, there's somebody else who wants to talk. I was about to. I do want to say one thing about gloves. <laughs> You know, people complain about socks. You know, a sock is the other sock. Is, where does it go? It gets eaten by the dryer and stuff. And, you know, I don't really have that problem with socks that much because socks can really only be in one of two places. They're either on your feet or they're somewhere in the laundry continuum. There, it, it isn't like you don't like take off your socks when you go into, uh, you know, a coffee shop and like put them on the counter and then forget they're there. Right? <laughs> or if you do. You probably don't get invited back to that coffee shop and you know, something also may be very wrong with you. But, um, but gloves, I feel like the, the existence of gloves, it's like they're like identical twins that are destined to be separated not too long after birth. You know, there's just <laughs> there's no way that they're going to finish out their existence as a pair. You know, you just somehow or other are not going to be able to keep them together. Uh, and the other thing that they do when they disappear, I mean, you know, you really can work backwards and figure out where your sock is, but uh, you don't, you can't do that with gloves. Your gloves could be anywhere or one of your gloves could be anywhere. All right. That's all. I mean, I'm going to write a, you know, 1,000 word essay about this, but all right. We probably have enough time for Don to say something very quickly. Don, you have 30 whole seconds. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Uh, according to a, uh, respectable-looking documentary I found on YouTube on the life of Harry Nilsson. Uh, he and he and John Lennon apparently became fast friends at some point, and, and late in, in that process, they found it amusing to engage in what I think can only be called screaming contests oh dear. at each other. Well, I mean, I know a little bit about that friendship. That friendship was not untinctured by the consumption of huge amounts of alcohol and various other mind-distorting substance, substances. In fact, they used to like show up at Jimmy Webb's house in the middle of the night or something. Uh, so that's probably how they decided it would be a great idea to scream until they wrecked their voices. All right, we have to go. Thank you very much. Thanks to Pants. Thanks to Cat. And we will be back with more shows this week. From time to time.